Blog Talk Radio. Hello everybody, my name is Boss Rutten. Hi, this is Diego Lima. This is Rodrigo Comprido and you listen. And you guys are listening. So you are listening to the Verbal Submission. Welcome to the Verbal Submission. I am your host, Brian Hemminger, and the Verbal Submission is brought to you guys by Countermove, the best fantasy MMA site out there. We have a fantastic for you guys. It is Sunday, January 4, 2015 now, our first show of the new year, and we'll be joined in about half an hour by upcoming UFC Fight Night 61 middleweight Sam Alvey, who's taking on Ultimate Fighter Season 1 winner, Brazil, Cesar. Ferreira, and then we'll also be joined in about one hour exactly by John Jones' special weapon, his secret weapon. His name is Brandon Gibson, and he is a fantastic striking coach out of Greg Jackson, Winkle John's gym, Mike Winkle John's gym. So you are really going to enjoy this. We're going to be talking strategy, all kinds of the little things that went into John Jones's victory last night over Daniel Cormier in the main event of UFC 182. So, we have an awesome, awesome show in store for you guys today, and without further ado, let's bring in my co-host for the evening. Uh, first, the man, the myth, the legend, Jerry Rodriguez joining us. Jerry, how you doing today, man? I, I could be uh, go, gloating about uh, Daniel Cormier uh, dethroning John Jones, but he didn't do it, so uh, I, I'm not as great as I, as I was hoping to be, but at least the Lions are beating the Cowboys, and uh, other than the Patriots, that's my team. <laughs> That's awesome. I always love it when the Cowboys lose. Now, uh, we're also joined by my other trusty co-host, Richard Highlight Perry. Richard, how you doing today, man? Uh, still a little bit hungover, but uh, I'm holding it together. I did not mean to do that. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, guys. And uh, anyway... Let's get right to business with uh, all the craziness that went on this past weekend. UFC 182, it was hyped up as one of the biggest pay-per-view events that the UFC has put on in ages. Obviously, the main card, every single fight went to decision for the first time since like UFC 33. But let's just get to you guys. Were you entertained? And also, did the main event make up for maybe the first four fights of the main card, not maybe living up to the hype. So I will start with uh, Jerry. Um, listen, man, the main event, I thought it was, it wasn't a bad fight. Um, it wasn't an epic battle. Uh, I thought the first two rounds were really exciting. And then the third, fourth, fifth kind of, uh, it, it, it was consistent with the, with the other pay-per-view fights. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I was excited on paper. It looked really good. And it didn't turn out that way. I think, uh, I think, it, in my opinion, the best card on the pay-per-view car, uh, lineup was uh, Lombard and, and Berkman. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the the main event, uh, you know, it, it just it, it was it was it didn't live up to the hype, unfortunately. 
Um, they didn't slug it out for the full five rounds. Um, just a, a bad way to start, in my opinion, the new year. You know, Dana White said, uh, you know, we just had a bad year with pay-per-view. They raised the prices for this card. Uh, definitely worth uh, uh, worth a refund, in my opinion. I just, I just don't, I, I just don't see how they're going to be able to to produce stellar cards or stacked cards anymore with with how many shows they put on. What about you, Richard? What do you think? I I enjoyed the cards. Um, you know, the uh, the Cerrone Jerry fight was not a bad fight. I mean, who doesn't like to see full wind up Sakuraba kick to the ass? Uh, to close out a fight, um, I, I, it wasn't a bad card. It was right on par with uh, with most UFC cards. Um, because of all the decisions on the main card, um, it actually almost went over the time limit. I think they were uh, a couple minutes shy of uh, of going over the time limit um, mm-hmm. uh, for the pay per view. But um, I wasn't disappointed. Um, I was very entertained by the main event. Um, the Hoyaguchi fight wasn't bad. Um, the Nate Marquardt Brad Tavares fight was, ugh. Uh, and the Hector Lombard Josh Berkman fight was solid. I, I I liked it. I mean, Josh Berkman slugged it out with Lombard way more than anyone ever should. So I enjoyed it. What well, did you I'm think about the card? I thought the first four fights were a little. Slow. Not that they were bad. Like I thought Lombard was pretty good. Lombard was very uh, exciting to watch. Just you had that anticipation. Like at any moment, he would just murder Josh Berkman. And I always like that feeling watching Lombard fight. Entertaining fight. Berkman was doing some pretty crazy stuff, dropping his hands, hunting. So that fight I was pretty happy about. But um, after that, I think the thing slowed down a little bit. Gucci was way too focused on his movement. So I was a little annoyed by that. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate good technique and, and everything, but you know, I just want to see guys get wailed on. So that really didn't happen for some more violence in that fight. Marco Tavares was just garbage. That was the worst fight of the night by a landslide. Cerrone jury had its moments. I thought the grappling exchanges in the beginning were very good, uh, set the tone for the fight, and jury just could never, you know, hold there. So, you know, it, it was it was good for, you know, I guess, but still didn't quite live up to the hype, especially with what Dana White was saying about that fight. And I thought Dana White was fantastic. Even as the fight slowed down, like, you could just feel the intensity of the moment because, you know, this was a guy that was presenting a credible threat to John Jones. He was blasting him with uppercuts. They were fighting toe-to-toe on the inside, which was where Cormier was supposed to have a big strength and Jones was going right into his his powerhouse and just trying to beat him there. And it was really, really exciting to watch. Even the last two rounds where Jones was mainly just getting a couple takedowns and pushing him against the fence, and they were pretty tired and just hanging on to each other, I still liked that, too. Like, I loved everything about that main event. It was really good. So I was very, very happy with that main event. And I thought it made up for a bit of a lackluster main card. So let me uh, let honestly, me ask you. Oh, go ahead. I had a, had a question on on the um, get your thoughts on on Cormier's strategy. I mean, obviously, 
he needed to get inside. And I don't remember him really going for a a full takedown attempt in the first two rounds. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't remember it. Um, and I think that was a huge mistake because by the third, fourth, fifth round, that's when the guys are usually all sweaty and slippery and it's harder for you to get the takedown or, or you know, pull anything off when, when guys are, are that sweaty and slippery. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I felt like Cormier, the guy, look, I thought he was the guy to dethrone John Jones. And I'll have to give Jones his, you know, his, his, his due because he, he whooped him and he took him down almost at will. But I felt like Cormier made a huge mistake not rushing in there and instead of dirty boxing, you know, trying for a full take. I mean, he should have just tried to put John Jones on his ass right off the bat and then wear him out. That's, I think it was all game plan, game planning that, that lost him the fight. I I actually have a reason why he didn't uh, he didn't go for for a takedown. One of the earlier uh, moments in the first round, I, I believe it was before the halfway mark, um, he, he kind of uh, fainted a takedown. And every time he did that, Jones would push a stiff oblique kick right at his knee and straighten that knee out. And you can't go for a, a, a takedown with a straight knee. Um, that would definitely part of the game plan um, to, to shut down the wrestling uh, uh, along with those really hard body shots um, that, that Jones used to kind of dictate the, uh, the, the direction of the fight later in the fight. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of things with that fight that I was really impressed with. I think the big thing that surprised me a little bit was, as Jerry mentioned, that Daniel Cormier didn't try harder to get takedowns, especially early in the fight when they were both, when he was at his absolute strongest. You know, we've seen this guy literally lift Josh Barnett over his head and slam him. And he did, you know, throw down Jones in that fifth round, but by then, you know, he was already losing the round. The fight was over. So uh, it was a little, it was too little too late. He definitely should have done that earlier. And I, I understand part of it, you know, Jones was playing the stand-up game, and Cormier got you know suckered into it, and you know he was he was having success. I mean, he definitely won the very end of the first round. He won the second round, and he was winning the beginning of the third round. He had about, I would say, a round and a half total where he was winning that fight from basically that that stretch, but he just got away from it a little bit. I think a lot of the the extra stuff that Jones was doing took its toll. He was doing some really good body work, and you could see Cormier started to slow down. And, and he's gone five rounds before and didn't slow down. So I, I definitely feel like the, the grueling nature of that fight, you know, these guys were just hurting each other, that definitely factored in. What did you guys think of uh, his classy uh, reaction at the end? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I was this guy's ask. really embracing that asshole uh, role. I mean, not only does he put his hands up before the fight's over, and then I I would consider that a cheap shot. Um, it wasn't though. Bell had it it wasn't. It wasn't, but it it kind of was. I mean, you know, you put your hands up. Cormier kind of you know conceded. All right, this is it's over. He, he had to have known that Jones won that fight, um, and then to kind of throw two punches. How could you not expect Cormier to retaliate, even if it was slightly late? 
um, and then sort of the, the 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 old school wrestling suck it. It's just it, it doesn't work for me because I don't buy it. I mean, the guy is he comes off fake, you know. He comes off like he doesn't know who he is. Um, it's not you know natural. what though. What I will say when John Jones first rose into power and he was you know being Mister Good Guy, Mister Perfect, trying to set the example for everyone. That's when I hated John Jones the most. Where I was like, you know, this guy is completely full of crap. That's and now, <laughs> I know I'm saying, I'm saying, but now that he's kind of embracing it, he's, you know, he's like, you know what, I am the shit. And what are you going to do about it? I love this version of John Jones. This is, this is the real John Jones. He's being real now. And some people I, don't I like absolutely... it because obviously, you know, he's being a dick. But it's so much better than the the good old church boy John Jones. Take your vitamins. Say your prayers. Like, this is way better. This is a guy that I understand. He's a real person. He's a character. Like, yeah, he's the best in the world, and there's nothing you can do about it. And you just have to deal with it. I, I, and people I don't are going like to hate him, and people are going to love him. But the guy, you, you can't uh, discount the man's talent. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, the guy is right now the best fighter in the world. There's no arguing that. But... It's it's the fact that he was trying to come off as this good old church boy, yeah. and then he's oh you know, I completely get, get that 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 pissed off a so, lot of people. So now it's just like you said, everybody saw right through that that fakeness, and now okay, we're getting the quote unquote real John Jones, and it, it's it almost it again it doesn't seem authentic, you know? Are, is is this really who he is? It's not like uh, like he doesn't fully embrace that role. You know, he's just kind of a douchey guy. Whereas, you know, Conor McGregor doesn't have, you know, the resume that John Jones has. But, I mean, I kind of believe that, hey, this guy's an asshole and this is this is his shtick. He's kind of going with the with the Chael Sonnen shtick. And, and you know what, I he's brash and he's cocky and, and I don't like it. I don't like him, but, I you know, I don't mind his trash talk and I don't mind that, 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 Sort of that 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 heel that he's playing, whereas with John Jones, it's just like, oh, jeez, dude, stop flip flopping, you know, hey, stop it. If you're gonna do shtick, do shtick and do it right. Do it like Chael Sonnen did, you know. That was complete shtick. I mean, Chael was playing uh, a wrestler that happened to fight for real, you know. That's not the same guy that that you see outside, and we know that. But at least he fully went with it. He believed it, and he made us believe it. Whereas with John Jones, it's like, you know, pick a side of the fence and then just stand there. Well, I got um, I, I got to say one thing about John Jones. Uh, he's 27 years old. He's at the peak of his career, and he's the best in the world at it almost bar none. I honestly think he's probably, at this point, one of the best of all time in MMA. He can be as cocky as, as he wants. I love asshole John Jones. So much, it's just amazing. I am a uh, huge fan of this John Jones. I want him to go like full Ric Flair mode and just go balls to the wall and embrace it 100%. Um, it just absolutely, I enjoy. I enjoyed the the fake uh, cheap shot at the end of the round. I agree with Jerry. It was 100% a cheap shot, and it was amazing. I loved it. Um, it was a cheap shot, perfectly within the rules, but a cheap shot nonetheless. 
Um, and it was just beautiful, just amazing to watch. I mean, John Jones being a dick makes me want to watch him so, so, so much yeah, more. I can hear the boner from all the way in Boston. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Richard has a point. This this version of John Jones, because you got to remember, before when he was being all, you know, namby-pamby, church boy, you know, goody two-shoes, and everybody could see through it, what really was there, what was your reason to watch him other than he was a really good fighter? That was Honestly. my sole reason, the fact that we would see something amazing, those spinning back yeah. elbows. Well, I well, mean, th- that's what now. Enough. Now you get to see something amazing, and you get a show, and... Like, there's legitimate people out there that fucking hate this guy, just despise him, and they will pay money to try to see a guy punch him in the face and see see if he gets his. That's that's just good business. Like, you, you always say, Jerry, you know, you got to talk. You got to talk the talk and walk the walk. And like you, I mean, you almost sound a little hypocritical that you don't like this version of John Jones because... Like, this is everything that he needed to become, like, the biggest pay-per-view star in the UFC. Like, this stuff, like the whole Rashad Evans thing, and this one just took it to a whole new level with Cormier. Like, this is this is exactly what the UFC needs. Like, they have had so much trouble, like, creating the next big superstars, you know, the Chuck Liddells, the GSPs, the Anderson Silvas. Like, this is it. This is exactly, uh, that. like, this whole thing was John Jones transcending to me. Well, this this is look, I love shit talkers. And that's why I, yeah. I respect that's why I respect Conor McGregor. I don't like him. I don't think he's as good as they say he is. Um I don't care for him as a fighter, but you know what? He talks pretty he talks a pretty good game, right? Uh Chael Sonnen, like I said, that was pure wrestling shtick and I enjoyed it because it was funny and Chael fully embraced it. The problem that I have with John Jones is that the flip-flopping you know, because look, at the end of the day, Chuck Liddell wasn't a shit talker. I mean, Chuck Liddell, if you got in his face, and we saw it with Tito, Tito would talk shit to him. Chuck Liddell had no problem speaking up for himself. But every other fighter, all he did there, he went into the cage and let his hands do the talking for him. And people loved him. He was just a cool cat that, you know what, looks like he doesn't look like a fighter, was Jack, had a had sort of a beer belly, and he was just devastating with 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 the uh with the bombs that he threw. Uh, you know, Randy Couture was Captain America, just a very likable guy and you believed it. Uh, you didn't think you, you didn't suspect that he was being something he wasn't. Um Anderson Silva. I mean, this is a guy that only Chael was able to get under his skin. Other than that, he's you know, we've seen him taunt people in the cage and that and that's it, you know. Nick Diaz. Look, Nick Diaz is the biggest shit talker and and I pay to watch him get his ass kicked because this is who he's been since he's he was fighting, you know? Uh, same thing with Nate Diaz. My problem with John Jones is that now he's starting to embrace it, but it's too late, at least for me. And people are going to look, they're going to jump on, on that bandwagon and say, oh, I'm a John Jones fan now because he's he's embracing the bad guy personality. But hey, good for you. I, I, I just refuse to do so. Uh, and and uh, Richard, I can handle change. I can't, because Chael Sonnen wasn't always the guy that we, we, you know, most MMA fans know. Because when he was in the WEC, when he was in his first run with the UFC, who the fuck was Chael Sonnen? You know, he didn't really talk much. 
But if he yeah. did, nobody would have seen it. I mean, it, it was in the WEC. Um, it's not like, you know, uh, Chael got to the top level of the sport um, and then became a shit talker. Became a shit talker to get to the top level of the sport. Uh, I, I think Jones has just really, really embraced what he is, which is an internet troll in the body of the best fighter of all time. He's basically a YouTube commenter, and it is so enjoyable for me to watch. Now, I, I, for one, just I'm, I'm praying. You know, uh, hopefully, whether it's Anthony Rumble, I don't think Rumble could could hang with him for the full five rounds. But hopefully, if, if uh, Gustafson gets that rematch, in a way, I almost want Gustafson to win. Actually, I don't care who wins that fight. I, I I just want John Jones to beat the next guy standing across the cage so that we can finally see him go up to heavyweight and fight Cain Velasquez. After watching that John Jones fight, though, against DC, do you think Cain could beat him? Absolutely. No. I don't think he could. Jerry, I, I I mean, I can see it, but I also can't see it. I mean, I mean, we all know Kane's chin isn't the best. I mean, obviously, John Jones doesn't have the greatest power either. But, man, I think John Jones will make Kane work his ass off in that fight. It's not like Kane is just a monster heavyweight. The guy weighs like 240. I mean, but I think that, uh, I think, you know, Kane Velasquez goes in right for the takedown. He goes right in for, uh, you know, I think he would... Definitely learned from Cormier's mistake. And uh, I think, you know, we saw Cormier rock John Jones. Um, I would think that Kane hits harder than him. Could be wrong, but Kane does have more knockouts. Um, I think he could put, I think he would put him away. I think he'd maul him, take him down, and probably get a a stoppage. I I really, really have to disagree. Um, Most of Kane's knockouts. Uh, come from ground and pound, and um, there's been, what, two, maybe three takedowns on John Jones, ever? Um, yeah, one of them was Gustafson, but that was in the middle of a uh, of a really brutal fight, um, and Daniel Cormier couldn't even hold him down. Um, if you want to say that Kane is a better wrestler than, than, you know, the guy that plays fourth in the Olympics, you can say that. Uh, but I just don't think it's going to be as easy of a fight for Kane. Um, I'm not saying that Kane couldn't win. Um, it just I, I would say that fight was a pick 'em. I I would not want to make uh, make the odds on that fight. What do you think, Brian? I don't know. I I definitely wouldn't mind seeing it because after Jones fights the winner of Rumble versus Gustafson, what's next? What OSP? A Rashad Evans rematch? <laughs> like, there's Rampage. not a whole lot left. So, like, it's slim pickings right now at the top of light heavyweight because John Jones has beaten everybody. I mean, you look at the guys that are in the top 10, top 15, Glover, Jones dominated. Rashad, Jones dominated. Um, you just go right down the line. Ryan Bader, Jones dominated. Now you have Daniel Cormier. Jones won 49-46. I mean, it wasn't a complete domination, but he definitely convincingly won so, and then you've got Rampage coming back. Jones destroyed him. And then Leoto dropped down. Shogun's on his last legs. There's not much left. Like what, Jim Manua? Ovin St. Prue? <laughs> what, what are they going to do? 
you know, I'd love to see yeah, uh, coming. Machida <laughs> Daniel go up and, and get a minute. rematch. Yeah, like what, Cormier rematch, you say? No, I'd love to see Leota move back up and, and get another crack uh, at John Jones. I think it'd be a different fight. Whiteman. And Jones choked him out. And... He won the second round. I mean... He won the first round. Well, the first round. But I, I, I think it would be an interesting rematch. Um, you just you can't sell it. Like, you can't you sell it, you're right. I mean, I'm just saying personally I would love to see that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, after he beats... If he beats the 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 next opponent, the next challenger, I mean, there's nothing left for him to do. So, I, you know, I think that's one of those fights that as soon as Kane is healthy, you throw him in there against John Jones. Doesn't you know? Kane was stripped, um, so he, he doesn't really have anything to lose if it's a super fight. Kane was neither guy really has anything to lose. Kane, they just made an interim title. He didn't get stripped of his title. I, oh, I thought he did because he has. No, no, no! It's an interim title. Oh, okay. So then he'll he'll have to fight the unification. Yeah, like fight. Verdum's fighting Kane next in Mexico, probably. Uh, on the note of Verdum, did you hear that? Uh, did you read rather uh, Verdum's yeah. tweet about Jones? Yeah, that was that, uh, said, you know, that's actually up. a really interesting wait, fight I'm too. Here. It was good. Who said that? Verdum. Oh, that would be interesting. That would be a That'd pretty be a good one. fight. Another really long, lanky guy with a great ground game and solid striking. So, you know, there there are options. I, I think that at, after this next fight for Jones, though, probably has to move up to heavyweight, Anderson Silva style. Maybe not fight the champ, but just take somebody out up there. Just, they just need to keep him busy. And there's really, they got to wait for a contender to emerge at light heavyweight right now. You know who they're going to yeah. put him in there? They're going to put him in there against a big foot. They'll probably throw him in there against uh, an Overeem. Well, he wouldn't do Overeem since they're training together now. Oh, okay. Well, they'll, they'll probably they, put him in but, there against that, somebody he's supposed to beat, you know, at the heavyweight division. Yeah. I, well, I All hate right. to say it. Bigfoot just lost his, his, his last fight against uh, Jones' uh, training partner, Alaska. So I don't even see how that fight makes sense. Yeah, there's, I don't know, there's a lot of, Weird things going on at heavyweight. Now, Did James Irvin versus uh, Anderson Silva at light heavyweight makes sense. No, nope, but they but did it awesome. anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they they could virtually put him in there against any heavyweight that has a notable name that he, they know he's going to beat, and then probably set up a mega fight against whoever has the belt. That'd be pretty sick. All right. Before we get uh, Sam Alvey on the line, I want to talk about a couple other things that went down at UFC 182. To me, this was like a showcase of some of the the best young talent on the UFC roster. You know, they they sold the event on the Jones Cormier fight, and then they tried to put a whole bunch of really good prospects on the card. So you had guys like Cody Garbrandt making his UFC debut, Kyoji Horiguchi. They're trying to groom him as a, a flyweight contender. You know, maybe they were trying to see if Jury could be a guy at lightweight. Like, out of all the guys that fought last night on the prelims or the main card that they were kind of showcasing uh, some up-and-coming talent, who stood out to you the most? Uh, Felder. I think it's Felder, Felder. right? Yeah, Paul Felder. Holy shit. I mean, he, he that, wasn't back a, that wasn't a lucky spinning back. Cause he was beating no. Danny Castillo. I mean, mm-hmm. he was dominating him. Uh, which is surprising because Castillo's a pretty tough dude, and he was—he looked like the newcomer. Um, he stood out the most to me. And then uh, we had Cody on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah last he, Sunday. Yeah, I mean, he looked really good, but there were some 
he had some lapses, but obviously he's a young guy. But I thought he looked pretty good too. It's that really devastating. Uh, pretty nasty. Really sick on his feet. Yeah, I think I think he's going to be really good someday. So that was I, a great. I think he's really his, good uh, now. Uh, career, he, uh, Blimmage isn't a joke. Um, Cody yeah. is, is a yeah, there's, solid there's another fighter. fighter. Considering... There's another it's fighter that made has... a tremendous first impression by knocking out Marcus Brimage in his UFC debut. Um, but on, on the uh, Felder note, um, you're 100% right, uh, Gary, and, uh, Jerry, that um, that wasn't a, uh, a, a like a, a, a Hail Mary spinning back fist. That was perfectly timed. Um, when you watch the... the the uh, the slow motion clip of it it slipped right through um, right through the arms of um, of last call and and just flatlines him. Danny Castillo looked like he had a stroke as he like was going down and he oh, fell. He, he looked like his face was paralyzed. One side was like droopy and it was just weird. I was like, holy shit! I think he just paralyzed him. Uh, gave him a stroke. I mean, that, that looked pretty bad. Uh, the way I described it is he turned him into a mummy. He got his arms stiffened up and out and his face all contorted. I mean, it really was, you know, a picture-perfect uh, spinning back fist. What did you guys think of uh, Jerry's performance? It was lackluster. I, I, think what, I think what happened to me was... Part of his game plan was to wait for Cerrone to throw some kicks, catch one, and take him down. And he had a very great and fluid takedown immediately to start that fight. He was trying to, you know, set the tone that Cerrone couldn't feel comfortable on his feet. And then the second he took him down, Cerrone put him in that omoplata. And and Jury tried to defend it. You know, he was he was defending it pretty good for about a minute. And Cerrone was just so tight and technical. And, and then the second Cerrone was able to reverse that position and then dominate him on the ground for the last four minutes. Like, I think that just completely fucked up Miles Jury in the head. Like, he just didn't know what he could do because he, he probably didn't have enough confidence to stand and bang with Cerrone. And he thought that he could just take him down and get top position and work him over, and and it just didn't work. So, it like, the whole game plan went to the shitter in about 30 seconds. So, it was it was tough for him. So... I want to get your guys' thoughts on that, too, and I'm going to go get Sam Alvey on the line. So uh, you guys take it away, but I want to see if you guys get, like, the same vibe that I had from it. Well, um, it really seemed like uh, Jerry did what a lot of people do and just completely forget that that Cerrone opened his career just subbing dudes left and right. Um, People forget how great he is off of his back. I mean, just looking, his first... You know, you look at his record, his first, you know, 10 or so fights is submission, 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 you know, um, back to back to back. Um, he is a dangerous dude when when you put his back on the mat. And um, people tend to sleep on that because he has such a good um, striking game with that intercepting knee and, and the really quick hands and just brutal leg kicks. But... Um, I'm thinking Jerry figured, okay, the only place I can win this is on the ground, and once that got proven wrong, he got put into survival mode and was just doing whatever he could to to not get finished.
I'm the biggest Miles Jury hater. I mean, I'm just not a fan of this kid. He he doesn't excite me. I I don't care to watch him fight. He's good. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. He dominated Diego Sanchez. Was one of my favorite fighters. But he's, he's just over completely overrated in my opinion. Yeah, he beat Takanori Gomi, but so what? He's old and everybody beats him. Um, you know, it, it just. He's not exciting. It was a boring fight. I mean, for a kid who's, you know, this is his big shot at him, you know, at making it being the new gun, you know, the new young gun in the uh, lightweight division. He just, he should have done more, should have been more aggressive, and and um, it just didn't impress me. <coughs> Sorry. Now, uh, I, I completely get that, Jerry, but it's time to move on to uh, the next big part of our show, which is our first guest for the evening. We've got... Smiling Sam Alves taking on Cesar Mutanch Ferreira at UFC Fight Night 61 in February 22nd. So, Sam, welcome to the Verbal Submission. I believe it's your first appearance on the show. Uh, first of many, I hope. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, I, I have interviewed you a couple times in the past, like when you were in the Bellator tournaments and stuff like that. So, uh, But I'm really excited to, to talk to you now that you know, you're in the UFC, you've got UFC win in your last fight, and now you've got your first UFC main card appearance, at least from what your Twitter said, because you know, Wikipedia and all that stuff hasn't really finalized what the main card's going to be, so they, they actually went out and told you, you know, this is going to be a main card fight? They haven't told me anything, but we found it, I think it's on the website already, uh, and besides that, it's Caesar. He, he is the main card yeah. in every UFC that he's fighting on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, he's a... Promote- what me and my camp have been able to find is it's, you know, main event, co-main event, then it's us. So we're the co-co-main event. Awesome. Yeah. Like Cesar Mutanchi is super popular over there in Brazil. And uh, it's pretty obvious that they would put him on the main card, especially uh, since he's coming off a win. You're coming off a win. It's a big fight. Uh, they're, they're trying to build him up and they're giving him a tough test. And you, you know, how do you kind of feel about that? that the, the way that UFC promotes, uh, the Brazilians in Brazil, you know, they they give these these uh, tough Americans trying to throw you off a little bit because uh, I'm sure it's not easy to to go into such hostile territory. You know, I I love fighting overseas over borders. Uh, by the end of my fight in Australia, the 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 audience was cheering me. I fought in Russia, and the the audience started cheering me. Canada loves me. Uh, I I love going in there where they boo me at the beginning, and I fight, you know, as hard as I can to make them cheer me by the end. Uh, and this is just another chance. Uh, I, I've been told by uh, my jiu-jitsu instructor, who's who's from over there, uh, uh, he, he says that they're not going to love you at the end. <laughs> they're going to cheer for you to die the entire time. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I've got nothing but respect for, for every fighter that comes out of Brazil. And uh, it, it really is going to be a, a test of my, my skill and how, how I've grown as a fighter. Oh, definitely. Now, speaking of fighting across borders, my co-host here, when I told him that we were going to have you on the show, he started delving into some research on you, and he found something out pretty interesting. He wants to know, you you fought an event in Mexico called the Chihuahua Extremo. He he says he looked it up. He says, was that monster truck rally that had like a single fight just on the side, or is he missing something? Like, what was your experience? The Chihuahua Extremo fight. There was no monster trucks. 
I, I'd never oh. even heard that punch truck idea before. Uh, <laughs> it was a full MMA event. Uh, I was I was headlining the event, uh, and, and I believe the guy beat uh, Augusta. I, I believe mm-hmm. he's in the UFC now. I think he had his debut a fight ago or two two fights ago. Um, but yeah, no, it was just a normal MMA event. The crowd down there was fantastic too. That was another example. They they booed me as I walked out, but they loved me at the end of it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to doing it again in Brazil. I think part of it has to do with your demeanor. I mean, you were just always so, you always look so happy to be there. You've got that big grin on your face. I'm sure some guys just want to punch it off your face. But, uh, like, is there just something about just being there, that experience that just makes you smile? Because, I mean, you definitely deserve the, the Smile and Sam nickname. I, I'm getting paid to do something I do for free. Uh, I'm getting flown to Brazil to do something I, I you know, I'd ha- happily drive to Brazil for. Uh, and it, there's no reason not to be happy. I, the, too many MMA fighters come out looking and trying to play up the big tough guy. Look, the guy we've been blessed with the opportunity to do something we really enjoy, and there's no reason uh, not, not to be smiling ear to ear. Oh, absolutely. Now, I want to go back to the reason that we're doing this interview right now, actually. Uh, one of my friends is like, yo, you know, you should you should interview Sam Alvey. And I was like, oh, what's what's up with Sam? And he's like, did you see his tweet? And I was like, what's up? And I go and look it up, and he and you're, here's the tweet, word for word. I made the main card of the UFC, and if anybody would like to interview me, I can tell you all my deepest thoughts and feelings. Please let me know. So I was just like, you know what? He sounds very eager to, to get out there and start doing some prep work for that fight. I'm going to I'm going to reach out and I was very happy that we were able to set this up but what kind of motivated you to do that cuz usually most interviews and all the media and pre-fight stuff doesn't really start ramping up until like the week before the fight 2 weeks before the fight I you know if you want I'll, I I can talk with you guys again a week before the fight too <laughs> uh, I just I I love this sport it's all the 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 more people that can hear me the more people will tune in to watch me uh, and that's kind of the goal. Is I want everybody to be excited to watch me fight. Uh, I, I try and build up all my fights the same way. I'll talk to anyone that's got a heartbeat. I'll talk to uh, I mean, just about the, the whole experience, the whole fight, uh, just trying to get them to tune in because I guarantee once they watch me fight, they're going to like me. They're going to like what they see, and they're going to tune in next time too. Oh, absolutely. Now I want to talk about a couple things that are different for you Um Maybe that that first fight in your UFC debut against Tom Watson, you know, it was a grind. Uh, you got off to a bit of a slow start, and you finally started really turning it on in the third round. But it was a little too much, too late. Did you like just take from that fight that you just needed to be, you know, a little more up tempo and aggressive early, and you took that into the Dylan Andrews fight because it was completely different. I mean, you went right at him, and you were able to get that uh, first round TKO during the the takedown attempt and uh, all the craziness, shenanigans that ensued after that. So you know, was that just a, a shift in fighter mentality for you? It, I've had a lot of five-round fights. I was the MFC champion back when I was mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. I owned a couple titles back there. And I've really gotten into the habit of, of building up as I fight. You know, I, I'm better in the third round than I am in the first. And I've been trying really hard to break that habit. Um, but and, and as you can see in my Tom Watson fight, it, it did not happen. But more than anything, I went into my fight with Dylan with the attitude, I'm going to win the first round. I need to win the first round. Um, 
and no, even if I lose the fight, I'm going to win the first round. That is the absolute goal. That is my entire game plan. Uh, and so that, that's how it worked out. I went out there. I took the center of the cage. Uh, I came out with a heavy combo, and he took me down immediately. So that, that kind of went backwards. But I got up, I got up, and, you know, I ended up with the, the, the hard knockout at the end of it. Um, so it almost went completely, completely to plan. But um, I, I was very pleased that I did what I wanted to do. I went out there, I took the center of the ring, I, I tried to make it my game. Um, and, you know, best laid, best laid plans don't always come out perfectly, but, you know what, this one turned out pretty well. Yeah, it definitely did. Now, there's a, a whole bunch of stuff I really want to go over. We'll start with uh, you just went home for uh, Christmas to all the way back to Wisconsin, I think. So, you know, how was that? And, you know, was it crazy cold? You know, is it just a huge stark contrast to, from being out there in Temecula training with Dan Henderson and then going back to Wisconsin in the middle of December? Uh, you know, I, it, it was actually really funny. About a month ago, the entire state of Wisconsin was covered under about two and a half feet of snow. Since then, it's kind of thawed out and it melted. So I got back there, and uh, it wasn't terrible. It was, you know, 20 to 30 degrees, but no snow. Uh, and then it snowed in Temecula, where I, you know, where I live in California <laughs> while I was gone. Uh, so the, I, I came back to, to California on uh, New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, and there was snow everywhere. So it, it kind of it followed me. Right? It, you know, went where I wasn't. Um, the day I left, though, it was really cold in Wisconsin. Uh, it was about three degrees, uh, and and that was that was a little little less warm than I was used to, uh, at least recently used to. But it was fun. I got to introduce my new baby to, to to my whole family. I got to got to hang out with mom and dad. I got to go hunting again. It's been way too long since I've been hunting, and uh, you know, I just had a great time back there. I was really really happy to to have that time to relax. Now, what do you hunt? Are you a geese guy? Are you a deer guy, squirrel, rabbit? Like, what's what's your game? Uh, well, I have every rabbit I've ever shot at, I've hit and killed. Uh, so that's a pretty good stat. But I love hunting everything. Uh, it's been too long since I've been deer hunting. Since I've been out here, it's, you know, it's hard to do it in California. But uh, I, I love small game. Uh, this time back, I was pheasant hunting. I got two of them, too. So I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't lost a step yet, I don't think. But um, I, I'm really hoping, especially with the, the more time I get Frida to work out, and between fights now that I'm in the UFC, I'll be able to um, uh, I'll be able to start hunting and fishing a lot more like I like I used to. Hey, hey Sam, I got a question. Why or have you considered, or why haven't you considered proposing a reality show with you, Johnny Hendricks, and Matt Hughes, where you guys go out and just shoot a bunch of shit? <laughs> Hey, I'm game. I am, um, but I tell you, Matt Hughes, he shoots like tigers and stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he I'd love to, to, but I, I, I don't know if I could keep up with him. He seems to be pretty practiced. That's the show right there. He's teaching you guys how to kill tigers and and really big animals. I mean, I, I'm in. I, you wanna you wanna produce it? Uh, listen, I I think I deserve uh, executive producer credit. I came up with the idea. I like the idea. I'm game. I'm there. I'll shoot whatever you put in front of me. I'll throw it out there. I'll, I'll see what I can do. I think that'd be great. Why not? I mean, you have Matt Hughes, who probably might be a little dry on TV, Johnny Hendricks, but, you know, you can be kind of the, uh, you'd obviously be the star of the show. You'd be you'd be the guy that, that kind of stands out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would, no, I, you know what? I've never thought of the idea, but I, I like it. 
huge Matthews fan, huge Hendricks. Hendricks was robbed, by the way, a few weeks ago, off topic, but he was robbed. But love him. Uh, I'd love to go hunting with those guys. I, I, you know, they're listening right now. Call me up. I'm there. <laughs> Maybe at the end, you guys could even just kind of rumble, uh, you know, in a, a, a Kruger National or something. Yeah, I, me and Hendricks were shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, awesome. All right, back uh, back on topic a little bit. I think one of the coolest things about you, Sam, is, uh, and I'm sure you've been asked about this a ton, is you know your, your wife corners you, which is just crazy cool. You don't really see that a lot in MMA. But one of the things I wanted to ask about, you know, she started training in MMA a, a few years ago, and you know, being an America's Next Top Model winner and all that stuff, you know, that's that's a pretty stark contrast to the the lifestyle she was doing before. So, you know. What was it? Her decision to just she wanted to start training MMA just to you know because of you, uh, just to, to to fit in with your lifestyle a little bit more to understand you, or did you kind of be like, hey, you know, I'm at the gym anyway. Why don't you come you know train with me? Uh, well, she and I were together before I ever fought. We were together before yeah. she ever modeled even. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I started fighting, it was just a free ticket if I said she was my corner. Uh, but she she liked it more than I did, I think. And uh, so we started training together. I mean, uh, of course, I do it more than she does. It's my career, and she she just enjoys it. But, you know, for as long as I've been fighting, she's been there rolling with me, uh, hitting mitts and stuff, um, you know, while raising our kids and going to school and modeling around the world and all that. So in her spare time, she just, she's, a, she's an MMA fighter. <laughs> um, now, I want to know, has she ever... Now, has she ever shown up to a gig with, like, a black eye? No, no, no. She, she's got too good a head movement. Her hands are always up. I, I've tried, and I, I just can't touch her. <laughs> now, here's the big question. Could she fight MMA? Uh, yeah, yeah, she could. Uh, you know, she, she's, what are we, 10 weeks out of having our, our second child, so I, I don't think she could fight right now. Uh, but, uh, but uh, no, she, she, she might even someday. We're, we're, we'll see where, where life takes us. Now, for this upcoming fight in February, is she going to be coming all the way? I know she corners you for your fights. Is she going to be coming all the way to Brazil to corner you, or is she going to be you know, staying home taking care of the baby? No, nope, no, nope, she'll be coming with me. Uh, she and all my kids came to Australia, too. Um, now, she and my youngest will definitely be there in Brazil, and then my, my oldest kid, who's 18 months now or 16 months, uh, my oldest kid, Reagan, she might stay home with, with my grandparents or with her grandparents. You don't know how old your kid is, Sam? <laughs> I, I get hit for a living. I, 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 there people ask how old I am, and i got to you know use my fingers and toes. <laughs> I'm just giving you a little hard time. Now, a uh, question here from my co-host. Most people remember you as you know a huge welterweight on The Ultimate Fighter. How hard was it for you to, to get down to 170 pounds, especially on the Ultimate Fighter, where you're asked to do it repeatedly over a course of a matter of weeks, uh, multiple times. I mean, that, that had to be really rough. It, it was almost impossible. It was, you know, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but it was 40 pounds in 29 days, mm-hmm. um, and it was just miserable. I mean, the, the entire month I ate about 15,000 calories, uh, and it was running and working out, just doing everything to make weight. Made weight, made weight the first time, uh, and that was rough, but I made it. Uh, overnight, you know, from my made weight to when I, I got my knockout, uh, I, I put on about 35 pounds overnight. 
uh, and then six days later, I cut it all again uh, for the second fight. And well, we saw how that that turned out. I, I came out flat. I didn't throw a punch in the entire fight. It was it was a mistake. But um, you know, forevermore, I'll be able to tell the kids I coach. You can, I, I did it, and so they should be able to do it too. Yeah, leading by example. Now, since you're fighting at middleweight again, and and you don't have to make that you know just brutal cut. Do you feel stronger at 185? I and mean, we we know about Nate Morcourt last night. You know, he was saying, you know, he just he needed to to fight at 185 because you know his chin just wasn't the same when he dropped weight. Like he just felt stronger and had more energy. It didn't show in the fight, but yeah. I mean, that, that's what he's saying. I, I feel way better at 85. I actually feel best at 205. But uh, you start getting 205ers that are cutting from like 260, and and that that's just too big, I think, for me. But uh, 85 is a good compromise. I still get pretty big uh, when I when I start lifting and everything between camps. But uh, no, I I feel good. I feel confident. I feel uh, uh, you know I've got conditioning for days at 85, and at 70 I, I don't have that. All right, completely understandable. Now uh, a couple last things I definitely want to touch on, especially guys that we have on the show for the first time. Uh, first things mm-hmm. first, before a fight. Is there like any kind of pre-fight ritual, whether it's during the the whole training camp or maybe during fight week or you know the day before the fight or weigh-ins? Is there something that you really like to do, like for each fight? Um, I watch the entire Star Wars saga before every fight, uh, almost every time. I, I, I get through almost all of them throughout my my whole camp. You know, now that I've got kids, it's, it's harder and harder to make it through the six movies. But uh, that, that's always I always start doing that. Uh, which thanks for reminding me. I'm probably going to start again tonight. <laughs> uh, so, so that usually happens the entire camp. The force will be strong with me when I fight. Uh, and yeah, not not too much. You know, I, I've got the, the while I'm backstage, I usually try and get the the whole locker room, whether I know them or not, to have a, have a good uh, little prayer with me. And um, yeah, that's really it. I, I'm pretty go with the flow kind of guy. Now, what do you think about the whole new seventh episode they're doing in the new the new trilogy? Do you think oh, you think uh, Abrams is going to do it right? I've already got my tickets. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I even like episode one. I mean, if it's oh got, come on, I, yeah, Not if it's Star one. Wars on the, the title, I'm there. I'm gonna love it. I, I don't care what happens. It's going to be fantastic. I'll, I'll give you some credit. I thought you know two and three were okay. But you know the the, the the original three were the classics. But man, oh, yeah, one. yeah, no doubt. Uh, shoot, episode five is probably my favorite of all time. But uh, the first yeah. three are way better than the, the you know the prequels. But uh, these next three are going to be going to be awesome. I've already got my tickets. I've already got my uh, already got my spot line even. What do you think about the new lightsaber everybody's bitching about? Why are people complaining about stuff? It's two extra little knobs. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised other Jedi's haven't thought of that yet. It make their hands are always people. People complain because that's what they do. You know, after my first fight on TV when I fought in Bellator, uh, who did I fight? Carl Amasu. Uh, I won the fight. It was you know an ugly first round, but won the fight. And the internet erupted about how terrible I am and how terrible my wife is. My wife had nothing to do with the fight other than she was my corner. And the internet erupted. The internet's just terrible. People like complaining about things, and that's it. The Star Wars movie is going to be great, and that's the bottom line because I said so. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're uh, a WWE fan as well, right? I mean, you're busting out some Stone Cold here. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's been too long. I'm trying to get back into it, but again, the kids make make my uh, my schedule for me. <laughs> well, this just gives me the ultimate segue. CM Punk, what do you think? Did this guy win a fight in the UFC? Like, I don't yeah. know if you've been paying attention to all the his most recent stuff in WWE, but I gotta know. They're gonna make sure he wins a fight. Uh, he, he, a, a fight's a fight. He could lose any one of them, but they're gonna give him a European or something, uh, someone who has no jujitsu, no wrestling, uh, a kickboxer of some sort, and pro- probably European. That's my prediction. It's gonna be a European guy, and um, I and I think he, I think he's gonna win. I don't think he's gonna be, you know, in the UFC for for long, but they're pretty good at. I don't want to say protecting fighters that they want to, but they can. They know, you know, Dana White and Joe Silva and all those guys. They know fights really well. They know who should win what fight, and he, he's going to have a couple fights where he should win. Yeah, I like Dana. He already went out and said, you know, this guy isn't just going to fight some guy that's got ten UFC fights. He's probably going to fight a guy that's one and zero or also making his debut. Like, it's not going to be a typical UFC type of fight. It's not going to be like Brock Lesnar coming in and immediately facing the former world champ, Frank Mir. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? It, that's fine with me. I I hope he's a good fighter because I want to watch him. Uh, he, he's he got an enormous popularity, and it can only help the sport. People that are complaining that the UFC... You know what? If he's no good, he'll lose. If he's mm-hmm. no good, he'll get cut. Uh I, I've got no problem. I, I kind of wish the UFC would have given me a chance when I was 0-0. Uh, but I didn't have the popularity that he does. It did nothing for the UFC. And uh, the more people that are tuning in, the the, the better it is for me. So I, I wish him nothing but luck, and maybe I'll get to fight him someday even. Yeah, he could be fighting a middleweight. That's very possible, very real possibility. Here's another big question. You're from Wisconsin. You, uh, you just came back home from uh, going home to Wisconsin for Christmas. The big rumor mm-hmm. is that CM Punk's going to be training in Wisconsin at Duke Rufus's gym. Now, say you get a break after this next fight. You think you go out to Duke Rufus's, you know, spar a little bit with CM Punk? I, I would love to, and Duke and I have got a pretty good relationship. Anytime I'm in town, he always opens his gym up to me. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't usually have time off, though. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. day I, I, I won my fight in Australia. I landed on Sunday. On Monday, I went to Disneyland. But Tuesday, I was back in the gym. And uh, that, that's just the way my career has always been. I, I just I don't miss time. I just don't I don't miss time. Um, so if it works out, I'd love to go and spar with them. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I I don't know if it'll happen or not. All right, this is the most hypothetical question ever. But say you get in there with CM Punk. You know, he wins a couple UFC fights. They they decide to you know feed CM Punk to Sam Alvey. Now, you, you get in there, you realize you are way stronger, way more talented and skilled than this guy. Do you finish him off with the go-to-sleep? Uh, yeah. I I finish him as fast and as hard as I can. <laughs> Just like every fight. I'll love you afterwards, I'll love you before, but during the fight, uh, you're only all right. I, I'm, there to, I'm there to hurt you. All right, all right. I, I, I just I had to ask. I'm sorry. That was just the inner mark in me. So... Okay, uh, Jerry, Richard, do you guys have any last questions for Sam? Uh, we've kept him uh, pretty long here. Is uh, going to Disney after your fight a, a, a traditional routine for you? Uh, it might become one. This was no. This was I, I wanted. 
I wanted to say it after a win. I'm going to Disneyland because that's you know that's what people do, right? Uh, <laughs> so it, it just so happens that Disneyland is an hour from my house, so that's where I went. And to be truthful, I might after I win my fight in Brazil. I believe my plane goes to Florida and then California. I may get off the plane in Florida and stick around to Disney World for a few days. So maybe, maybe it will be a tradition from here on out, but that may, maybe it's the start of a tradition. Awesome. And uh, I guess uh, last thing before we let you go, Sam, there is, uh, you know, we always like to ask, you know, since these guys, they get a fight book, you've been thinking about Caesar Army Tanch for a while now. When you're kind of picturing victory against him, what, what are you visualizing? Oh, I'm going to knock his head off. Uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him hard, <laughs> hard and often, I, and uh, you know I got to be careful because it looks like he hits pretty hard too, and he's got those kicks mm-hmm. that come from any which angle. But so I, I gotta do my best not to get hit with that. He's also got, you know, Brock Lesnar had a terrible shot in WWE or not WWE in the UFC, but he made it work where you just duck your head down and run at the guy. And Caesar, he's got that same takedown, and it's so hard to stop. So uh, my neck, you know, I'm going to stop his takedown. I'm going to, I'm going to break his jaw. That's, that's the goal. Well, I wouldn't put it past you. You've got some power, and Cesar, as we've seen, you know, he's been getting, he gets knocked out in fights. So we saw it against uh, Elvis Mutopsic. We saw it against CB Dalloway. So definitely a very, very real possibility. So, all right, Sam, I sincerely appreciate you stopping by the show today. Uh, last thing before we let you go, did you have any shout-outs, trainers, sponsors, anybody that's helped you along the way? The floor is yours. I, I got to thank my team, Team Quest. We are the best team in the world. We've got some of the most talented fighters you ever see. And if any fighters are listening want to come out for a week or two, uh, just hit me up on Twitter. I can put you in touch with the GM, and we, we've got rooms for you. Uh, my wife, she's in my corner. She helps me with my diet. She helps with everything. Couldn't do it without her. And then my strength and conditioning coaches, Dynamic Fitness, they've been with me for years now. and, and they're, I, I'm never tired in a fight, and it's, and it's their fault. So i got to thank them, too. And if anyone ever wants to ask me anything, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Smiling Sam, or uh, I've got a Facebook page, too. It's uh, Sam Alvey, or Smiling Sam Professional Fighter. Uh, and, and I really do my best to get back to everyone. So if you get the chance, hit me up and ask me something. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Sam, and best of luck in a month and a half against Caesar Mutanj. I cannot wait for that fight on February 22nd. Hey, thank you very much. All right, I hope you had a good time, man. Oh, it was a great time. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, you have a terrific rest of your night. All right, you too, sir. Bye. All right, that was uh, upcoming UFC middleweight Smiling, Sam Alvey stopping by the verbal submission. Always love talking to Sam. He's a great guy. Great story. All super interesting. And you learn something new every time. I love talking about random stuff with fighters, whether it's uh, Richard, you know, marking out and talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or Jerry talking Tupac and and Biggie, or me talking Star Wars with Sammy, Sam Alvey. So uh, it, those kind of interviews are my favorite. So. I appreciate you guys for letting me mark out a little bit talking WWE and stuff. But that was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. I thought we had him on before. <laughs> I I think we booked him for uh, an MFC thing, and it didn't happen. Because I typed in, like, Sam Alvey verbal submission, and I don't think he had ever appeared on. Because I always try to listen to 
any previous interviews or anything. So I'm, I might be wrong. I mean, I could check right now, actually. Hang no, on. no, I looked it up. Yeah, you you were right. I just I thought we had him on. Yeah, I, I think we had him booked, and something happened where either he didn't call in or he didn't answer, and it didn't happen. But I, I know we had him scheduled once. So that's probably yeah. It. This is the first. Yeah, he, time. he sounds like an awesome dude, man. He is. Right, come on, he's married to a winner of America's Next Top Model. I know. Can't get much better than that. He's doing something right. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go get Brandon Gibson on the line, and this one's going to be big. I cannot wait to talk some technique with this guy. This guy, you know, John Jones literally says he's my secret weapon. So I really want to just talk all kinds of crazy technique and everything with uh, Brandon Gibson. So uh, I'm going to go get him on the line while I'm doing that. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on uh, Kyoji Horiguchi. Ken, like, could this guy be the next title contender, or did you just not see enough out of him last night uh, against Gardenos? Because they're really, you know, desperate for title challengers at flyweight. So I guess take it away, guys. Uh, Richard, I'm, I'm going to tell you how how much of a of a hater I am of the flyweight the flyweight division. I actually changed it um, mid first round to the Pittsburgh and Ravens football game because these guys just uh, they. <laughs> He was boring. Um, Did I miss something so, that 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 was that's worthy of uh, of calling out? I enjoyed the fight. I'm going to say that um, the UFC put out uh, put up an interesting stat where um, Horiguchi and um, Horiguchi himself uh, moved about half a mile in the cage during the fight. Um, and that's just how much movement there was in that uh, in that fight. Um, and uh, Gaudneau also went about half a mile. So they combined, um, kind of bounced back and forth um, for just an insane amount of, of distance and time. Um, I enjoyed the fight. I don't think Horiguchi is going to be the next title contender. I think if he um, if he really put on a show and just embarrassed uh, Gaudneau, it probably you know would have been um, something to sling him into the top five. But right now, I don't even think his ranking changes a little bit. Um, now he might have earned his way into fighting someone above him um, in the rankings. Um, you know, maybe a Bagu Tinov or Chris Carousel. Um, but I, I can't picture him leapfrogging anybody for a title shot, you know, right now. Um, you know, I, I, I liked what I saw, uh, but he, he really needs to pick the volume up um, if, he, if he wants to be able to do anything at, at flyweight. All right, boys. I hate to interrupt but we are joined right now by our final guest for the evening, who is a very interesting cat. He is Brandon Sixgun Gibson, the striking coach for Johnny Bones Jones. He helped the he's, – he's, John Jones calls him his secret weapon, and he helped uh, game plan and prepare Jones for that incredible performance against Daniel Cormier in one of the biggest fights of Jones's career. So, Brandon, thank you so much, and welcome to the Verbal Submission. Oh, I'm glad to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute honor. Now, before we, you know, I, I know I laid out all the accolades and praise, 
but I have to start this by busting your balls a little bit. I don't know if you pay attention to the website Reddit much. No. Okay. There is a huge thing at the top of that website. They basically upvote to the top, like, you know, the funniest things with MMA or just the most interesting things to them. And the number one thing or number two thing all day has been uh, spoilers gets left hanging. And it is post-fight in the octagon. You walk up to John Jones, you hold out your hand to to give him a high five, and Jones just turns right away from you, shakes Lorenzo's hand, shakes Dana's hand, and you just have this, like, look of, man. That's funny. (laughs) And it is right there. I mean, I'm going to have to link it to you uh, after the, the show. But. Well, I just we want got, to know what happened. Did you did you give did you bust John Jones' funny. balls for doing that to you on national television? No, you know what? I, I haven't done that yet. And really, I don't even know if John saw me because like I had gone and shook DC's hand and everybody from AKs. I wasn't really with the group with Izzy and Wink and Greg when I, John kind of celebrated with them. I I went and congratulated everybody else first, and then when I came back over, I don't even think John saw me and turned and right to Lorenza and Dana, and then. Yeah, I don't know. It, it gets crazy in there for those couple seconds. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it just came out of nowhere. And I was like, I saw the thing, and I'm like, dude, I'm talking to him on my show tonight. So I got to ask him about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, back to a little bit more serious stuff. I think one of the most interesting things about John Jones, watching him fight, is he kind of he's he's like a superhero in that. He, like, absorbs the talents of the people he's fighting in his preparation. You know, he goes in there. He stands and trades with Alexander Gustafsson. He wrestles Chael Sonnen. He fights Glover Teixeira in the clinch. He gets right into the pocket and just goes toe-to-toe with Daniel Cormier on the inside, uh, wants to take Daniel Cormier down. You know, is there just something about him that he just thrives on – trying to take uh, beat his opponents at, at their own game almost? Absolutely. Um, and it's a very demoralizing thing for his opponents, mm-hmm. for them to be right where they want to be and then start getting outdone at the thing they think they're the greatest at. Um, it really chips away at their psychology and, and weakens them. And then when John's ready to explode back into a different area, uh, he can. But he does have a chameleon-like repertoire of tools that he can apply to a variety of opponents. Mm-hmm. I completely understand that. Now, some of the things that I found very interesting in that fight were, even though you know the first three rounds were definitely the toughest for John, that's where he put in all the work that paid off later. You know, he was able exactly. to, to get inside, and he was just pounding Cormier with knees to the body, left hooks to the body, combinations, finishing it off with something to the body. Like, everything was really focused. I mean, he was still going to the head and everything else. He was mixing it up. But there was definitely an intent to go out there and just take the wind out of Daniel Cormier. And, you know, and John Jones' most convincing rounds, you know, fourth round, fifth round, definitely the fourth. So was that a big part of the game plan to – to take take away a lot of uh, Cormier's strength by breaking him down from you know the inside out. One hundred percent. That that was something we'd seen in uh, some of DC's past fights. Um, we felt he was vulnerable there. We knew that it would pay dividends going into the, the later rounds. 
you know, DC is king of the grind. We knew he was going to be well-conditioned and tough and durable. But we know if we start chipping away at the legs and the body, that um, it would take away some of his explosiveness. It would slow him down. He would most likely want to take time off in the clinch at times to just recover a little bit, and then we could continue to change rhythms and explode. So that was something we, we really focused on going in. Oh, I, I completely get that. And what's really interesting to me, right at the beginning of the fight, it looked like Jones was, you know, working the, the distance game. He was, you know, popping the jab. He was hitting him with straight punches. He was working kicks for distance. He was frustrating Cormier. You know, that's how he, the main way he was able to win that first round. And then he went right after him on the inside. So was there just a shift, like, you know, now it's time to, to go after him on the inside? Or, you know, was that just a, you know, a part of the game plan? Or was that just something you guys saw in the fight? Well, we definitely trained John. Um, you know, this was a really long camp. It was a grueling mm-hmm. camp. Oh, yeah. Uh, DC was such a big opponent. There was so much hype behind this. John was so hungry about it. We we worked our butts off. And um, I think we did have a, a game plan for every area of the fight, whether it was long range or a boxing range or a close clinch game, we had specific tools that John was well rehearsed with. And, you know, it was kind of a, you know, sometimes it was us countering into that range. Other times it was John initiating into certain ranges. But um, the kicks at long range were were super powerful. The long range cross, uh, I think he was 100% effective with. And then we were switching that up, complementing that with hooks to the body. It was um, it was just a great demonstration of John's skill and repertoire. And it was, you know, there was never a moment in the corner where we were worried about what where John was going. Once we we just made quick adjustments. So it was uh, it was good to see. Hello? Hey, this is Jerry. I think Brian dropped out. I'm the co-host. Um, okay. Yeah, I think he's having some technical difficulties. Um, let me get you off uh, off topic here. You know, John has sort of embraced this new personality, you know, sort of the darker side of John Jones. We saw some, uh, you know, he basically uh, owned up to uh, – you know, to, to to the to the true rivalry and bad blood, and he said, you know what? If he had won, he he'd be shit talking too. Um, I mean, is is this the? How do you feel about that? Do you think he should go back to the, uh, you know, the sort of the good old church boy, or or is this the is this the real John Jones? I think uh, I think John can be both. You know, he he loves church. He loves his family. Uh, but he's a dynamic character. I don't. I don't think John can be necessarily labeled into one thing or another. Um, he did tell us he was gonna. He was gonna let DC have it everywhere. Um, and, and after the victory, he knew that they were gonna be hard on him, whether he won or lost. And uh, I think he just wanted to continue to be relentless as far as keeping his confidence up and letting everybody know he's a champion and letting everyone know where he beat D.C. You know, he, he took them down. He out-grinded them. He out-dirty-boxed them. And 
duct tape downs. And, um, yeah, I think uh, for as much as I would like, you know, at times for John to just be, uh, well, I shouldn't say this. Um, we just embrace John for John. We know John. I've watched him grow over the past seven years, and we're just supporting John to continue to be himself. If he wants to go out there and be a little brash and cocky, go for it, John. We know he's going to work hard in the gym. We know he's going to be respectful to us in the dojo, and we know he's going to continue to to love his faith and his family and his teammates. So we we're always in support of John being John, comfortable in his own skin. And I think that's just going to continue to build his confidence as a champion. What happened? There was a video that was posted, sort of a confrontation before the fight between both camps and the coaches. Were you there? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. So, so look at uh, your we side of the story. It was, it was pretty intense. I mean, the whole thing leading up to the fight was just crazy and, and never before seen. Yeah, it had been about 30 minutes after the, the press conference, so John and DC had kind of just gotten in each other's face at the press conference, and uh, we'd gone back to the room and checked in and uh, John wanted to check his weight before our workout so we started heading down and walking and uh, it was Coach Martinez and I and then John's manager Malky and some of John's friends and we passed DC and, and his team and uh, some words were exchanged but uh, you know some loud dogs just kind of kept barking it wasn't necessarily John and DC and Things continued to get a little heated, and uh, finally everybody just kind of had to walk off and save it for Saturday. But yeah, that was it was real. There was some real animosity there, and uh, neither of those guys wanted to back down to each other. And you know, I know each camp had so much invested in it, and uh, emotions ran high. All right, sorry, I. Uh dropped out earlier. <laughs> Jerry stepped in, which was really great of him. Now, I want to go back to a couple other things that definitely happened in the fight that were very interesting to me. You know, John was able to do so many like creative little innovative things in the fight. Like when they were clinching with each other, you know, he was because Cormier was like leaning forward, resting his head near Jones's shoulder. Jones would like dip back and then just pop him with his shoulder. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. if I've seen him do that in a fight, but I mean, he was—he never really faced a fighter like Cormier that was always trying to grind and get into that clinch position. Was that something that was definitely in the the pre-fight preparation, or was that just Jones being innovative? Uh, well, a little of both. John John has had that tool in his uh, repertoire for a while. He got Rashad with it a few times, and uh, you know, it's one he rehearses in practice. We we knew that the hand fighting was going to be. And so John and DC, you know, trying to control each other's wrists and hands and fight for underhooks was a constant battle. So John being able to add in those shoulder strikes um, was just a good thing to disrupt DC's rhythm. So, yeah, it was was just part of John being like water, flowing throughout that fight, being dynamic. Mm -hmm. And and in the post-fight press conference, Cormier said that Jones did something in that fight that he'd never seen him do, and in all of his film study and preparation for that fight, it was he did a really good job of countering while moving backwards. Um, you know, when somebody was putting the pressure on him, like he was able to you know, pop him while moving backwards. Was that something you guys focused on in the training, like just to, to add something to, to Jones's game, or 
again, was that just, you know, Jones just being that good? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, some of our past opponents we knew were kind of more range fighters, but we knew that DC was going to be pressuring hard. So uh, a big part of the game was, you know, continuing to help John evolve as a better striker, as a better martial artist. And we want him being able to attack well offensively as well as defensively. So um, that was key in this fight to, to have John build that up. And we know it will be key in future fights as well. That's just an important tool for us to have and continue to use. So I was glad that John was able to showcase that side of his game. Oh, wonderful. Now, there were uh, several other things uh, I want to talk about because you guys had a lot of fighters compete on that show last night. I believe you went 4-0, and which was just wonderful. Yeah. Now, did you work with all the other guys that were fighting, you know, Cowboy and, and all those, or were you focused more on, on preparing John? Well, John was uh, definitely my biggest focus. Um, Cowboy has a crew of his own along mm-hmm. with Greg Jackson, so um, hats off to them for another great job and great camp. And same with uh, Paul Fielder. He came down to actually be Cowboy's sparring partner and then ended up picking the fight up against Castillo last minute. And he had his team with him and Greg as well. And then uh, I also cornered Omari Akhmadov, who fought earlier on the card that night. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was a huge night for you guys. Uh, Felder in particular, man, did he shine. So I, I've seen Paul Felder throw all kinds of crazy kicks. Like, the guy is super dynamic, but I'd never seen him land, like, a spinning back fist like that before. Is that, did you guys work on that, or was that more, you know, he was working with Cerrone and doing a lot of that stuff? Man, yeah, you know, I, I can't speak too much on that one, Paul. I didn't get to work with Paul too much. Um, I know he had a great team behind him as well. And, but in uh, in camp at Jackson's, I saw him sparring some of the toughest dudes in the gym and shining. He's a very skilled fighter and uh I'm glad he's he's kinda of making his name known on the bigger stage and I look forward to seeing uh seeing him grow and maybe even having a chance to work with him more in the future. Oh definitely. Now uh back to, to Jones, there's a couple last things I want to talk about. The one was something that just boggles my mind with John Jones was you know how you know, because he lived in New York after his fights he would go up to New York, he'd play video games with his buddies, he'd put on a lot of weight and then he'd come back to Albuquerque and start training. So he's saying that now that he's living in Albuquerque, like he's going to start training like this week or something, as long as he doesn't have a big uh, suspension. So how much better can John Jones get, especially now that like he's going to be like full-time all the time, 100%, you know, motivated to, to be the best ever? Like how much better can this guy even get? I think uh, I think the sky is the limit, you know. Um, it's been a challenge for us for as for as much talent as John has. We still want to continue to develop him and build him up in his off season. Um, guys that I train like Carlos Condit and John Dotson and Tim Kennedy are always working year round. They're they're getting stronger, they're getting faster, they're getting smarter. They're adding more tools. And, you know, John likes to take a mental break from things. And, and so far, that's been a good balance for him. I think he's reaching a point in his career now where he's just going to continue to dedicate himself and 
immerse himself in this game. So I look forward to working with them on a regular basis. There's still a lot of things that Coach Winklejohn and Coach Jackson and Coach Martinez and I want to be working with John on, and it's going to be a great time for us to continue to do it. Along with that, he's going to be doing his strength and conditioning, and I look forward to seeing John get stronger and stronger. These cuts have been getting easier because he's been so disciplined. So I know there's room for him to put on added strength and be even better at 205. And uh, and I'm just happy to have my friend here in Albuquerque more often, too. You know, outside of training, I look forward to just, you know, having my boys hang out with John's family and uh, going to movies and barbecues and, you know, just regular buddy stuff as well. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a, a huge benefit to you. And I think because uh, – this, this question is more geared towards you – because of a lot of the recognition that Jones has been getting, and he's really been heaping praise on you, especially in his last few fights, you're starting to, to really gain a lot of acclaim. So do you like being a, a guy that's becoming a, a, a big part of Jackson Winklejohn as the trainers and, and gaining more attention, or do you prefer to, to stay behind the scenes a little bit? Well, I, I think I'm always going to be a humble martial artist. You know, I'm grateful for my job, and uh, part of it is me keeping these guys humble and keeping them with that more Bushido spirit. But uh, the other side of that is I, I think there's almost a misconception that um, Jackson's is just Coach Jackson. And while he is the cornerstone, we have so many other great trainers there too. So uh, if, if a fighter comes to Jackson's, it's not just Greg. They have, you know, Coach Winklejohn, myself, uh, tons of great sparring partners, training partners, great wrestling coaches and jiu-jitsu coaches. Our team is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, and we have to be to continue to innovate and stay ahead of these other top gyms around the world. So um, I, I do think it's a good thing that... Uh, not just myself personally, but our gym is just getting more recognition and our team is getting more recognition. Oh, wonderful. Now, uh, my co-host here has just uh, a flood of questions here uh, geared more towards training and everything, so we're going to you know, get through these quick. Uh, first thing, is there any talent out there in the MMA world that you would just really like to work with that you haven't yet? Oh, wow. Um that's a yeah, that's a big one. Um, I've got to hang out with Anderson a few times, and I've just loved his uh, his spirit and his personality. I, I obviously everybody would love to train Anderson, but um, I think it'd be really cool to get in there with him. This past year, I, I got to train Alistair for two of his fights, and that was way high up on my list. Uh, Alistair was a guy. I idolize. I would stay up watching K1 Grand Prix at 4 a.m. You know. Mm-hmm. I know. So I know what you're talking about. Alistair was great. Um, man, there's that. You know what? I would say Connor. Mm-hmm. I've got. I, you know, I've spent some a little bit of time with Connor and his team, and uh, I think he's just a super talented martial artist. Uh, I'm intrigued to see him continue to develop as a martial artist, and I love psychology he carries with him. I, I see that in a lot of the fighters I train. Um, yeah. I like oh, awesome. the fun guys, too, that, that challenge, challenge me technically as a coach. And no, uh, I think 
I think he sh- has shown um, quite a array of skill sets in his limited UFC career so far. All right, another co-host question. In a similar vein to that, is there a fighter out there that you see, you know, like a ton of potential, and you're just like, you know what? If if they worked with me, you know, I could I could take this guy to the moon. <laughs> huh. You know what? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I got a good one. We, I mean, I've only had one session with them, but we just uh, had to Yuri Alicantra come down to camp. Mm. And he's he's top 10 at 135. His only loss in the UFC is to Uriah. And he's come down to Jackson's and been incredible. So, um I'm super excited to work with him and just seeing his raw. I mean, he's not raw. He's a very experienced veteran, but Winkle John and Jackson and I see so much more potential in him. So I've only worked with him once. I had a blast, and I'm really looking forward to getting back into camp tomorrow and helping him develop. I think uh, I could think he could be one of those guys at 135 in a division that now is a little more open that uh, we can go in and really make a statement with. Uh, excellent. And then uh, also in that, that similar vein you mentioned, uh, you know, Akhmedov won last night. Jackson has uh, quite a few really talented young rush fighters, and you, know, you guys have, have started to add them. Um, why do you think that we're just now starting to see, you know, that part of the world really get some big success in the UFC? You know, they just kind of came out of nowhere, or is it, you know, just that M1's not having uh, the stranglehold on the Russian fighters now. Well, you know, I think the world's seen it because these guys work hard. You know, most of them are lifelong wrestlers. They have amazing skill sets when they come. They have incredible strength and technique. And they have the work ethic, man. These guys, you know, Rusam Habilov was the first guy that came down to Jackson's from that part of the world. And now we have a couple more of his friends that have come down that are all just amazing guys. They're humble. They're super hardworking. And one thing it's shown um, some of the other Jackson fighters is just how disciplined these guys are. It's amazing. They're the ones that are first to the gym and the last ones out. And it's been great just being able to add some tools to to the set. And um, it's just a blasting and out with them and training with them and, they have a unique style. Um, it's very different than the American wrestling style. It's, it's hard to adjust to um, different looks. So, yeah, I'm excited to continue to train these guys and see what the future brings. Uh, we've got a young guy in World Series of Fighting, Timur Valier. Uh, Rustam uh, is going to be fighting in the UFC again here soon. Omari. Uh, Baganatinov has come down and trained with us a few times. So uh, it's it's great to see these guys come through. Oh, absolutely! All right, well, so we're we're all tapped out of questions. I think we've talked your ear off plenty, and I sincerely appreciate that you were so generous with your time, uh, Brandon. So, Anytime, guys. Uh, oh, absolutely! I'm taking you up on that. I'm not. I'm not joking. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing to do is to to talk to coaches uh, the day after a fight. You know, I love getting John Crouch on after Benson fights or any of the MMA lab guys. I've had Wink on. I've had, you know, you name it. I, I love getting the coaches on and just, you know, just talking about fights. 
So I, I will take you up on that 100%. So uh, last thing, though, before we let you go, uh, any shout-outs, anybody at the gym, any sponsors, anybody that's helped you along the way, uh, anything you wanted to say, the floor is yours, man. Yeah, uh, you know, I'd just like to thank everybody there for their support. Uh, UFC 182 was probably the most uh, challenging uh, coaching event, coaching camp of my my young career so far, and we just had so much help from family to friends to everybody at the gym stepping up and helping, you know, hard sparring rounds with everybody going and, and all the other coaches and their sacrifice. And uh, Booster is one of my sponsors. They they gave us some great gear to help us get through this camp. So it was a good one. I'm super happy to to be here Sunday with a big smile on my face and uh, be right back in the gym tomorrow chasing chasing down the next goal. So thank oh, you for having me. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the verbal submission, and best of luck on all your upcoming training camps and finding out the finding the next John Jones. So we really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck in the future, Brandon. You have a, a terrific rest of your evening. All right, thanks for having me, guys. All right, thank you. Bye. All right, that was Brandon Gibson, Six Gun Gibson the striking coach for Johnny Bones Jones' secret weapon helped him devise the game plan to defeat Daniel Cormier by unanimous decision last night in the main event at UFC 182. That was just an awesome, fascinating conversation, and I just love talking technique with these guys. So it's always a a big deal when we get them on the show. So thank you very much for uh, really hammering in some good questions there, uh, Richard. That was a lot of fun. I I love uh, I love hearing uh hearing about the point of view um from coaches. It's just an angle that you don't hear about enough. Uh so I was super excited and, and had a big long list of, of questions, most of which you actually asked before I could <laughs> even give them to you, but um I mean, I'm no, glad we were able to get the I'm glad we were able to get the answers uh answered to the questions I had. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, I'm so happy I got to talk about a lot of the little things because I love, you know, getting advanced enough in MMA that I can notice a lot of the little things. I can see some setups, I can see some intricacies that are working and not working. And I'm not saying I'm an expert, but but I'm I'm definitely able to to pick out a couple really small important things. And you get somebody on there that devises those small things and plans those things and just ingrains them into his fighter's brain and trains him and repeats it until it's just instinct. And you get him to talk about why they worked on that and why it worked. And it's just so satisfying to to hear all that stuff. So that was that was special. I really enjoyed that. All right, so I guess that about does it. Jerry had to step off during our interview there with uh, Brandon Gibson. He's got some fancy stuff, of course, and he's probably watching the Lions-Cowboys going down, a lot of crazy stuff. So, uh, Richard, any last thing you wanted to go over before we call it a show? Uh, No, I do want to point out that the Lions-Cowboys game has been over for a bit. Um, Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The winner of that game was uh, 
was clearly the Cowboys and uh, their great line of all the referees that they clearly had in their pocket that entire game. I will have to see it. So, uh, yeah, I didn't watch it. I was just doing a lot of prep work for the show today, so I didn't watch any football at all. You know, it doesn't really matter to me to watch the playoffs because my Browns didn't make it. So, whatever. <laughs> so, just like every year, you know, whatever, because the Browns never make it. All right. So, uh, any last things you want our uh, listeners to check out? Uh, no, I got I got nothing. All right. Well, I would recommend all – if you wanted to go back in retrospect and just read some incredible work, I would recommend um, – John Jones's Secret Weapon, just a terrific article that was actually about Brandon Gibson and his work with John Jones. Uh, it was written by Chad Dundas uh, a few days ago in the report. Highly recommend reading that. It goes super in-depth about their relationship and, and all the special things that they do together. So I'm going to link that in the chat if Richard wants to check it out. There were several more. League of Supermen by Sean El Shadi. Um, Jeremy Botter had a really terrific article pre about UFC 182. Um, yeah, as uh, Richard mentioned, Dwayne Finley did one. I read that, of course, in preparation for this, too. So a lot of really, really cool stuff. So highly recommend you guys check out a lot of the great pre-event UFC 182 work. Uh, Luke Thomas actually had, like, a big link roundup of all the best work before UFC 182, and I highly recommend you uh, check that out. So, in case you haven't. So, all right. Uh, so, that'll do it for the show today. So, you, oh, Richard, got a plug now? How about Yes, yes, I do. Um, if uh, if you want to hear a uh, great breakdown of striking, it's on a, uh, a, a weird schedule. It's kind of quasi-weekly. Um, Connor Rebush and, um, and Patrick Wyman do um, heavy hands, and it, it's not live, um, but... Always really, really, really good striking breakdown. So if uh, if you want to brush up on your striking, and especially when they start going real deep in on the specific fighters, it is worth the listen. Uh, wonderful. All right. So definitely check that out. Okay. And uh, I think that'll do it for today's show. So huge thank you to Smiling Sam Alvey and Brandon Gibson for stopping by and, and talking about uh, Sam's upcoming fight and uh, Gibson's recent coaching performance with John Jones last night. And then uh, we'll be back same time, same place next week, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time with uh, another terrific show for you guys. And uh, make sure to check out Countermove, our sponsor, the best fantasy MMA site out there. Uh, fantasy MMA is starting to explode now that DraftKings is getting involved, and I think that's only going to make it bigger. So highly recommend checking it all out and uh, giving it a shot. So uh, I believe that about does it for tonight's show. So uh, it, it, I believe there is a, a special time that it is right now. So, uh, Richard, what is it? It is Kurt Angle time. It is Kurt Angle time, baby. 